right, so here we are, episode 15. Yeah, uh, 15. Which equals the Mavs win total, but we'll get to that later. Um, I'm Al Siddham, you're Matt Siddham, and this is the Mavs podcast. Uh, I guess first thing to address this week, we've uh, consistently looked at the tank rankings. And uh, we really had a great week because we had two two really good losses to uh, the Heat and the Jazz. Uh, Heat just because we're really competing with them in the tank rankings. And uh, also Utah, both games were very competitive, Uh, both winnable. Uh, We could have easily been 3-0 talking this week, but... um, Lost two of three, which uh, which was great. And then on top of it, as I did think I predicted a couple of weeks ago, Philadelphia is on fire. Yeah, uh, seven and three in their last ten, and they just keep winning. Uh, they beat the Clippers last night. Uh, another team on a win streak is the Heat, four straight, including Dion Waiters going off against the Warriors and beating Golden State. Something tells me Golden State was out partying the night before because uh, they were, I think they were six for 27 from three-point range. <laughs> it was terrible. Pretty bad. It's pretty bad, yeah. But uh, it was a classic Dion Waiters game where, you know, his, his delusional perspective of himself just took over, and he had a game-winning three, I think, with .6 seconds left on the clock. It was awesome to watch for anybody who has enjoyed uh, his uh, overconfidence over the years. He, it was just ridiculous. So, uh, yeah, and for Miami, it's both a good and bad sign. Because you're just going to see more of that from Dion Waiters. Like it's just empowers them. Mm-hmm. So. It's probably not a good thing long term because chances are he'll go back to regular Dion Waiters and not get shot. But um, you know, he hit enough that night. But even that last three pointer was just a crazy isolation, top of the key. I'm going to throw this up there. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. I'm glad I caught the game. Um, it's not good for Miami's future, but right now we're just trying to get to the end of the season um, with Miami winning a few more games and. Uh, if they didn't go on this hot streak, I mean, they would be they would be near Nets level in terms of uh, yeah, because they've gone from eleven to fifteen wins. We're I think we're in a three way tie for the second worst record right now, so uh, we're doing pretty good in that regard. Yeah, while it's crazy while as well as we've played lately. Yeah, yeah, and so wanted to get into that a little bit, but first I wanted to touch on the fact that you uh, you attended the game where we handed the Lakers their biggest loss in franchise history. So I thought you <laughs> yeah. might want to might want to chime in and share any observations you had from your in person experience. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks to our friends at Landry Commercial, they hooked us up with some some bass tickets. <laughs> Nice. So a a favorite sponsor of the podcast. A favorite sponsor, yeah. yeah. So for all your commercial real estate needs, check out Landry Commercial on the Internet. Um, so anyway, yeah, I got to go see the, see the Mavs and Lakers play, and it was really 
a few things came to mind. Is really you're starting to see the Mavericks in a pretty good offensive rhythm. And the Lakers, on the other hand, and the Mavericks in a good offensive rhythm, we have guys who can make open shots. So even in the fourth quarter, Nicholas Brasino comes off the bench because we're up 40 at that point. And he comes in and just knocks down a couple open jumpers, no problem. And the Lakers were running some good plays and getting some open looks, but they just don't have the personnel who can knock down those shots. And I mean, it just kind of went from bad to worse for them as as the game went on. It was was really... uh, really pretty ugly while the Mavericks put on a, a pretty good display and it, you know kind of a weird momentum thing just took over not unlike when uh you know the Mother's Day Massacre from the 2011 playoffs where the Mavs yeah. was like just by, by yeah. 40 points that day to take them out of the playoffs um, yeah. but one thing that struck me about the Lakers and D'Angelo Russell was not playing but you had uh, Julius Randle out there hometown Dallas guy so he got a lot of love <laughs> crowd and uh and brandon ingram so they had two out of three of their you know quote-unquote building blocks for the future and you know brandon ingram was a minus 45 on the day wow just a staggering number he is so skinny in person he's just getting knocked around they tried to post him up when darren williams was guarding him a couple times and he could not back down darren williams to save his life and Hmm. You know, granted, he has eight inches on the guy and eventually just kind of turned around and threw up something off balance. But, you know, as we were sitting there watching it, I was really like, where does this team go? Because if you look at some of the teams who have built through the draft, you know, Oklahoma City, when they got Durant and Westbrook and Harden, you know, by year two of those guys' career, they, they had done some kind of scary things and really, like, you know, lit up some teams and surprised some people. Um and then you look at, you know, Minnesota now with Towns and Wiggins, and both of them have had some huge games, uh, not just this season, but even last season. And you're not – I don't think we're seeing a lot of that from the Lakers. They got off to the hot start, the 10-10 and 10 start, but since then there's something like, you know, 6-22 and 22 or something crazy bad like that. And, you know, I, it's – it kind of made me think of the Mavericks situation and the way that the Mavericks have all kind of, you know, not necessarily built through the draft, you know, outside of drafting Dirk and then they kind of just built around him. But just seeing a situation like that make you worried as a Mavs fan about building through the draft and how you can get some highly touted players. And I'm not calling any of those Lakers guys bust. It's still too early in their career. But at the same time, I don't know how – if I'm a Lakers fan at, at this point, I don't know how excited I am about the future either. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting thought, and we might do a little more of this moving on in the next few weeks. Uh, it's so easy to say, time to rebuild, time to rebuild. But what does that really look like? Uh, is that a five-year plan? Is that a three-year plan? Is that a 10-year plan? Uh, are you just... You know, was Sam Hinkie all right? Was he all wrong? Uh, the way Philly's looking talent-wise, it looks like he had a pretty good hypothesis that it's a star-based league. Uh, he didn't draft super great, but uh, the Embiid pick is looking good. Uh, ben Simmons, I would guess that's going to look good. Um, you know, there's 
there's a couple others in there we could reflect upon. But going back to the Lakers, are, do you think they're just a victim of, you know, maybe a couple weak drafts where, you know, maybe a Julius Randle is really like a, a 15th pick, but he went 6th or 7th. Or maybe, uh, you know, the same with D'Angelo Russell, I think, was the second pick or the third yeah. pick. And, um, yeah, I mean, in this draft this year, I, I don't think he would be a top six pick. So, um, I don't know. Could it be as simple as that? Or did you feel there were some other personnel moves well, that really hampered their yeah, rebuild? I, I think the roster construction is really weird. Like, they went and signed Mozgov in the offseason to yeah. kind of a big deal. He, he's got, like, four for 65 or something crazy like that. And I think part of that was just to keep Julius Randle at the four. Yeah. You know, they want him to develop as a power forward, and so they're going to bring in this big starting center so that, okay, look, you, you will play the four no matter what. And I don't know if that was a demand by Randle or if that was – kind of a developmental strategy by the Lakers, but, you know, they constantly had, you know, they never moved Randall to four and kind of played small, at least the other day. And when you're down 40 points, you think you try anything. Uh, right. We didn't see that at any point. Um, so, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And then you've got guys like, you know, they've got Nick Young and they've got, you know, Lou Aldeng. And those are two guys that are just known for their offense. And so it's hard if you're, you know, Brandon Ingram and you're trying to develop him into either a point forward or maybe you know, some sort of dynamic wing. But every time it goes to Nick Young, he's just going to chuck up a horrible shot. And Lou Aldang is, is going to maybe score because he's a little bit more efficient. But, you know, that's, that's not what you need. And I think, you know, maybe some of those other teams, you know, I mentioned Minnesota and Oklahoma City, I think they just had a bunch of, you know, no names alongside their kind of young stars and maybe they were worse because of it, but I think it helped those guys kind of develop a little bit more just because they had the ball in their hands and they had to have some scoring chances. So yeah, I thought that was the, uh, that was the thing that struck me too is that they have a very strange roster. And so, you know, Luke Walton, uh, you know, it's like you kind of toe the line between you can't just, play these young guys exclusively and just, you know, do you want to just lose every night or do you want to uh, try to mix in these veterans a little bit? Cause they, they are probably a little bit better than some of the other guys you have on your team. They should play, but it's, is that helping you at all long-term? Yeah, no, I think those are good points. I, I think oddly enough, they, you can make the case that they were victims of relatively weak drafts where they had lottery picks combined with feeling the pressure of maybe making a bit of a leap and spending their salary cap space out. Um, and, you know, essentially writing a couple bad contracts with Deng and Moskov because now if you look to their team next year, I don't know what their cap space situation looks like, but I do know that Dang and Moskov are tying up space that they don't need to tie up. Like, like you said, um, they, they could be putting their younger players in more pressure scoring situations now in terms, you know, trying to accelerate their growth a little bit and then, uh, putting some vets, putting some vets around them to really help them. But these guys aren't helping them. They're just taking minutes away from them. <laughs> 
Well, taking minutes and shots and just everything. It's just, it was just a bad. Yeah. It, that was really what struck me. It's just such, it's such a weird roster. Yeah. Well, and I think that all bodes well or bodes better for Mavs fans because this is a good draft coming up. And, um, you know, the Lakers, the Lakers don't even have a Wesley Matthews or a Harrison Barnes to even pencil into their starting lineup. I mean, their Wesley Matthews would be like Nick Young, and they're begging to just get rid of that guy. Like, he's terrible. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, to the Mavs' credit, I feel like, I feel like we have a, a couple good pieces. We have actually more than a couple, and that, that leads me to, uh, my, my point this week. Which is, uh, I think we bottomed out at about four and seventeen at some point. About 20, since mm-hmm. that point, twenty-three games later, we're eleven and twelve. I believe is our record. We've been playing five hundred ball, and uh, all of it coincides with the return of Seth Curry. Uh, just to the rotation, I'm not even talking about the past six games where he started, and our offense has been incredibly efficient with him starting. And so all this leads to the question, is he our starting point guard next year? That's a great question. Um, I would probably say it depends on where we end up in the draft. Like if we're not, if we get, if we have a chance to get one of these top point guards, I think we will get, uh, I think we'll get one of these top point guards and do something with Curry, something else with Curry. Well, uh, I, my thought on that, and it's a fear of, of many who watch the Mavs, is what will Rick Carlisle's uh, tolerance be with a 19-year-old point guard, you know, despite his talent, whoever it is, right. whether it's a yeah. Lonzo Ball, a Dennis Smith, uh, Marcus Fultz. I think uh, I could see them drafting whomever those three are, of those three, or even the the kid from France, uh, Frank, I can't even say his last name. Um, right. And just automatically, he's the backup. The rookie's the backup. And then Curry starts. You've got Berea in there to do, you know, be combo guard kind of stuff. And um, they just, um, um, you know, making this young guy earn it, basically. And just Rick feeling security of, I've got Seth Curry knows my offense, knows what I like, hits open shots. You know, he's he's still driving the car kind of thing. Right, right. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, I don't think that's a, that's a bad position to be in, but I can also see if the Mavericks, let's say they, they keep winning or, you know, bad lottery luck, whatever the case may be, and, you know, those top, let's say, handful of point guards are gone by the time the Mavericks are picking. Right. Do they then go with the kind of best player available philosophy, you know, take, take whoever's out there. And I don't, I don't know who that might be, but then say, all right, we're going to work that person in the lineup. And yeah, we've got Seth Curry coming back and he's still pretty young and, and we think he's going to continue to develop. And, you know, that's, that's our guy. So I can also see something like that happening where, absolutely, they, yeah, you know, they kind of feel like maybe they have, you know, the guy that, you know, maybe is not at a Jason Kidd level, like, okay, not a future Hall of Famer, but certainly someone who can who can run the offense, and you don't necessarily need a superstar at that position. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think the one essential for Rick's system is the point guard has to 
shoot well. And uh, I think Seth Curry has been shooting like 50% from three-point range even in the last, uh, I don't know how the amount of games, but it might be since he's come back from injury. And so uh, I think he's been he's been playing great. Uh, they might have, I think they definitely found somebody that they could build, uh, use as another building block. It's, it's not like a, like a Dwight Powell, for instance, where I appreciate how he's improved, but he could still be a trade piece at any moment. Like, I don't see them trading Seth Curry because of his small contract and uh, his potential, you know? Yeah, with his contract, you're not getting anything significant back in a Curry trade. And, exactly. You know, he's, he's worth more than what his contract is. So, um, yeah, I, I would agree with you on that point. And I think it's something where, you know, that was another thing, like watching the Mavs in person the other day. And, and I've watched a ton of Mavericks this year. And, you know, Barnes and Matthews are, are here to stay, I think. And, uh, yeah, let's, let's throw Curry into that mix. You still don't have, or at least the, we're not seeing it yet, that kind of superstar guy that you can definitively build around. You know, yeah. Kind of like Dirk was. Now, Harrison Barnes has made a ton of strides this year, and obviously we love him, but is, uh, is he going to be that guy? Like, are we sitting here going, all right, you know, Barnes is going to take us to a title someday. And I'm not sure about that. I think that's kind of the the missing element as Dirk kind of winds out his career. Well, and I think also the mistake to make as a Mavs fan or Mavs GM or whatever is that, you know, the title team that won it where Dirk was the only superstar, that's just not the norm. And you can't build your team thinking, okay, we've got – We've got Barnes, who's a lot like Dirk in his efficiency and his isolations. Oh, well, we could build a team like this, to a championship team. But it, I just don't think it's the case anymore when you have Cleveland and Golden State that are so top-heavy with talent. I think yeah. um, you would need – I don't think you need three superstars, but you definitely need two. And I, I think Harrison Barnes has established himself in that category – um, just just on the equator, you know, where all-star-ish talent. But um, you're going to need another guy, another guy just like him that's that's dangerous, that needs to be double-teamed, that can take that last shot. And it's just it's just a matter-of-fact point at this at this juncture. So. Yeah, I mean, the Mavericks play Cleveland next week, and you think, all right, so put LeBron on, on Harrison Barnes. If he shuts Barnes down, who do the Mavericks go to for offense? Right. You know, and it's probably Dirk on, you know, Kevin Love guarding Dirk and Tyree Irving on Seth Curry, and it's just like, geez, we, okay, are we going to yeah. score tonight? Like, well, yeah. what are we going to do? <laughs> um, no, so, true. yeah, when you just look at a, a team at the top of the league versus what the Mavericks have now, you see there's still a pretty significant disparity there. And you're right, there is no kind of second option if, if for some reason, like they really need, I mean, actually Barnes didn't have a great game against the Lakers, but that kind of speaks to more of the Lakers situation than the Mavericks. But when Barnes is off against a good team or in a playoff series, who's picking up the slack? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think, uh, I just think the rebuild is going to be interesting moving forward because as you see, uh, even Minnesota, they go all young 
is that three guys that are near untouchable when it comes to trading with uh, Levine, Wiggins, and Towns, but they're really struggling for wins, shockingly. And um, I like... I like how the maps are constructed where we've got a good we've got a, we've got some good pieces. It just needs to be the right pick and the right free agent because I think what gets understated is how much the wrong signings can really screw up your your rebuild, you know. And yeah. I think we covered that a little bit with the Lakers today. Um maybe we'll look at a few other teams moving forward, but um even Phoenix just riddled with young talent everywhere. It's it's just not enough. There there needs to be almost like a chemistry quotient or something where they're really balancing the all, all the dynamics to the team because uh you know, OKC didn't win anything. That's the other thing to look at. They had three MVPs essentially on the team <laughs> and they won nothing. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it's I, I don't know well, if going yeah. all young is is the way to go. But I think Oklahoma City is a good example of you know years from now when people look back and and realize that Durant, Harden, and Westbrook were all on the same team at one point. I mean, it's yeah. going to be mind blowing to think yeah. about that. Yeah, it's uh, true. considering how those guys will will you know likely finish out their careers, but. I I think what what happens when you get three guys like that is you're immediately on the clock as a franchise of when are you going to break through, and yeah. got your coaching situation becomes a little more tenuous because hey is this the guy you know it was Scott Brooks at that time is Scott Brooks going to be the guy who's going to break through and win a title for us you know yeah and yeah. Uh, Luke Walton I mean Brandon Ingram's 19 years old he's going to yeah. Still going to be in his prime in seven years. Yeah. But it's Luke Walton, his coach, in seven years, and, and that's you know going back to the Mavericks. We know Rick Carlisle is going to be here as long as he wants. To be. Yeah, and that stability, I think, is is pretty valuable. And as you start to build, you know, uh, the roster back up, I think it's going to you know you could end up in a situation like you know, Detroit in, in 03 when they won the title and it was just, or 04, uh, when they won the title and that was a situation where, you know, they didn't necessarily have a superstar, but they had five great starters. Yeah. And that's, that's possible, but great is not average either. Like we're talking great starters, like any right, one of the right. starters five, could have been. Yeah. 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 Those are five great players that just, and they again, they only kept that team together, those five, for I think two or three seasons. So that's the starting five was together, and they won a title. Yeah. So it's no, completely true. worth it in that case. But you've got a time element to it, unless you have a guy like you know LeBron James that you could just you know kind of. And it, I guess you know what it comes back to. It really makes you appreciate how great LeBron is because he yeah. can make. So many average players look really good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and a guy like Carmelo Anthony just just cannot. No, it's just not a thing. <laughs> Is what it comes down to. And uh, yeah, I still think Carmelo's a good piece, but uh, yeah, he was just never that guy. And that kind of leads us to our next point, our last point today. Is uh, again just. Uh, 
thinking a little bit about how we're getting closer to the trade deadline and what possible deals may come about uh, league-wise, but especially Mavs-wise. Uh, LeBron came out yesterday or the day before, went on a really odd rant that um, didn't make a lot of sense to me. But in the end, he was basically saying the Cavs need more talent. They need a more a playmaker. Uh, he's been clamoring for a backup point guard. I have uh, played with the trade machine a good bit. Um, it's very difficult to get Darren Williams on the Cavs. <laughs> uh, they they have no first round picks to give us. Um, they, I mean, unless we went like six years out, um, they. They, um, their salary situation is maxed out. We'd have to take back like a Iman Shumpert or something. And I, I just don't think the Mavs have any interest in, in those talents. And so, right. uh, something that was proposed by, uh, Mike Fisher's site, DallasBasketball.com was, uh, was a Devin Harris trade to the Cavaliers, uh, for essentially the trade exception and, maybe like a second-round pick. Um, I'm all for that. <laughs> any any inkling of asset talent we could acquire, I'm for. But I know Devin Harris is, is somebody that's really appreciated by the organization. So, A, what are your thoughts on that trade? And, B, do you think the Mavs would even do it? I, I don't know if they would do it just because that's really nothing. Like, you're kind of getting nothing back pretty much just giving Devin Harris to the Cavs. Yeah. And what, you know, I, I just feel any any trade the Mavericks make right now, I think has to be scored to some end. So I would almost take somebody they've got stashed overseas, you know, in that trade, just to, just to have, all right, well, there's the potential. This guy comes back, you know, from Spain or Germany or whatever, and he's really good, right? Well, what about, what about uh, a second-round pick next year? Yeah, I mean, but that's essentially the last or one of the last picks in the draft. And, yeah, you know, I'm sure there's been one or two quality guys that have come out of that spot. Yeah. But I, I just don't see it that as, like, you know, it's, there's a difference between we're getting a second-round pick from, you know, the Sixers or the Lakers, and we're getting yeah. a second-round pick from the Cavs. You know? Oh, that's a good point. You're not getting a, you're not getting a real quality guy at that spot. So... I mean, I think the Cavs would do it. I think the Cavs would <laughs> yeah. probably love that. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I just don't see the motivation for the Mavericks to do that uh, unless it's kind of sort of a you know mini tanking effort. Like, all right, we're just going to be slightly worse. We're going to trade Devin Harris, you know? Yeah. Well, and then uh, it's still pretty clustered at the bottom of the Western Conference, too. So there is a likelihood that a uh, Sacramento or a Denver or a Portland will try to make a trade to get into the playoffs. There's also a likelihood that a, I don't think a Minnesota would, but maybe a uh, the Heat, Phoenix, or Dallas could try to trade away some talent. So the next couple of weeks are going to be interesting uh, to see which way the pendulum swings for some of these teams. Do uh, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I can see, I, I feel like Sacramento, because there's this rumored, you know, Boogie Cousins extension, they're, they are primed to do something stupid at the trade deadline, you know? 
especially with the Green Day injury, and just make a really dumb trade in an effort to get to the playoffs because it's, it's kind of right there for them this year and maybe get some momentum going into next season. But in the end, they're going to have, you know, their same weird roster and their same weird situation and, you know, a, a disgruntled Boogie Cousins. I, I, don't, I don't see that long-term working, but I don't know. But I can see them doing something crazy like trading away multiple first-rounders or something to, to try to get somebody. Uh, How about a first-rounder for see- Wes Matthews? Yeah, I would take that from Sacramento. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would take that. Sure. Oh my God, that would be amazing to have two lotto picks <laughs> next year. Gosh. Yeah, that would be amazing. All right, moving forward. What else were you saying? Uh, Denver. I, I feel like Denver has had the we- such a weird roster for years now uh, since the Carmelo trade, and I yeah. think for a while they were, they were looking a little promising, like. Ooh, okay. We could we could maybe do something with this group, and then they had some injuries, and you know, Kenneth Fareed really didn't develop the way people thought he would, and now he's just kind of an okay guy on that team. And yeah, I, I could see them just kind of turning into a fire sale and sinking to the bottom of the league, just just out of necessity because really they're just kind of treading water right now. Wow, you know, I would have thought the other way, where it's like. We just need one piece to kind of uh, maybe bump up and make a run at that eighth or seventh seed because they've got some talent on that roster. I mean, Jamal Murray is great. He's a really good rookie. Um, Emmanuel Moutier, uh, uh, those two centers. I, I could see them trading Nurkic to get some, you know, maybe some wing talent back, balance out the roster a little bit. Um, and trying to make a run at things. I, I'm I'm interested most. Denver and, and Orlando look like they have assets that can they can move, and um, it's going to be interesting to see how things heat up. Because you know, like you said, depending on the trade, they can move in either direction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, without a doubt. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I don't see Denver's future quite as right, at least with the way their roster is now, and, and I don't know what they can flip, but yeah, I think they are going to make a move before the deadline, and yeah, Orlando signed like five power forwards last summer, so <laughs> yeah. found to trade one of them for something. I think yeah, I think Ibaka's on an expiring, so that may be an interesting one to move. Yeah, I mean, in, uh, outside of trading Barnes or our first-round pick, I'm pretty much up for anything if the Mavs can just try to poach uh, one of these expiring deals that are restricted free agents, you know, that uh, these teams have decided they're not resigning, like uh, whether it's an Ibaka or a P.J. Tucker or a uh, whomever, you know. So it's going to be interesting. I'm I'm waiting for the rumors to heat up, but it's still been pretty, pretty uh, quiet out there. Yeah, really nothing, no talk except the, I mean, a lot of speculation about what some teams might do, but I think with the way the West is, a couple of teams in that bottom bunch, like below the seventh spot, are going to make some moves to either get that eighth spot or to just drop out completely of that race. Yeah, well, we'll keep an eye on that moving forward. Um, 
bit short on time here, so let's take a look at uh, the week ahead. we got the Knicks tonight, correct? Yep, yes, Knicks tonight at home, and then at Oklahoma City tomorrow on a back-to-back. And then probably the toughest back-to-back of the season where they'll have, uh, I think it's either Sunday, Monday, or Monday, Tuesday, but it's, uh, they go, they got San Antonio and Cleveland on back-to-back night. Mm. Well, that could very well, it could be an 0-4 week, which, uh. Could be, yeah. The Knicks tonight is probably their best shot at a win. I think yeah, I wonder if we lose tonight and end up going 0-4, I wonder where this puts them perspective-wise because, uh, making a run, I, I guess it's always within reach because the Western Conference is so tight, but, um, it might encourage them to, to pull the trigger on a trade or two to just uh, start thinking about next year. And I, I could see Dirk signing off on that too. Like, I, I think um, with all the nagging injuries the team has had, uh, you know, the latest with Berea, I think, uh, I don't know, it might initiate the movement on the roster, which could be a good thing depending on the deal. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, losing four straight here, which is a real possibility, could uh... – could lead to some shakeup. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, any closing points on your end? No, no. Follow us on Twitter, VMAPS, at VMAPS Podcast, and then send us an email, mapspodcast at gmail.com. Great. So until next week, uh, go Mavs. Go Mavs, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> All, All right. right. I'll talk See to you ya. next week. Okay. Bye. Bye.